Second Thessalonians chapter 3 as we approach the subject of prayer this morning 2nd Thessalonians chapter 3 and we'll look at the first five verses this morning on uh, the challenge of prayer we'll read the passage and then we'll open up in prayer 2nd Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 1 finally brethren Pray for us, that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith, but the Lord is faithful. We shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. It's been an encouragement to me as I've studied it this past week, and you have uh, renewed my love of prayer and the appreciation uh, that I have for prayer. And uh, Lord, this is something obviously we're all growing in, and we need your help every day to, uh, Lord, practice this this valuable uh, weapon more and more, this means of communicating with you. And uh, Lord, we do love you. We want to love you more. We ask that this morning you would guide our hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is, in God's creation, a medicine that is more powerful than anything man has ever derived. Uh, The doctors will not tell you about it because it does not bring them money. Uh, The government won't push it because it uh, would actually relieve people of dependency upon the government. Uh, It can cure cancer in certain cases. It can reverse the effects of cancer. It can uh, do away with high blood pressure. It can do away with diabetes. It can eliminate um, numerous ill health effects. There was a lady in California who by the local hospital there was sent home to die. She was 65 years old. She had multiple issues, heart issues, Um, diabetes, things like that. They said, we can't do anything more for you. You need to just go home and die. Uh, Her grandson began to research and look around, and he found a clinic that practices the use of this medicine and uh, encourages a lifestyle by it. And so he sent her there. Within three weeks, the lady was walking 10 miles a day, and she lived to be 95 years old. What is this magic medicine, you say? (laughs) A plant-based diet. That's exactly what it is. Eating more vegetables. Something that God put in his creation. So simple. But why don't more people do it? If this truly is such a life-giving thing that God has put right in front of us to cure all of these things, then why don't we avail ourselves of it? You know why? It just doesn't please the flesh. It just doesn't taste as good as the things that, that aren't good for me. And so I tend to push it aside and not use it. That is a good picture of prayer. There is nothing my flesh appreciates about prayer, but my spirit loves it and identifies with it and rejoices in it, does it not? And boy, it's a powerful weapon. It can reverse the effects of sin. It can keep us from sin. It can reverse the effects of numerous illnesses, spiritual and even physical that we face in our lives, but we don't use it very often. Why? Because our flesh just doesn't like it. 
And so as we come to this passage this morning, let's be encouraged to be people of prayer. First of all, we see Paul's concerns, and he commands uh, to pray. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us. This has the idea of to do something that you are already doing, to keep on doing it. And so don't be discouraged. Keep on doing this very crucial thing. Uh, make it a continuous habit in your life. I believe that's what Paul was talking about in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 when he said, pray without ceasing. And so this has the idea of habitual. It doesn't have the idea of consist constantly being on your knees. You have to go to work and you have to live your life and do the things you have to do. But it's the idea of be consistent. Don't give up. Don't go a day without bringing your requests and your praises before the Lord. So keep on doing something that you're already doing. Notice Paul says, brethren, pray for us. He does not say, mature brethren, pray for us. Finally, the elders of the church pray for us. Finally, uh, the most mature Christians in the church pray for us. Finally, only those over the age of 15 pray for us. He just says brethren. He doesn't say only the men, only the women. This idea of brethren has the idea, though it's a masculine term, has the idea of encompassing all the saved. And so he wants all people who are saved, know Christ, to pray. And that right there should tell you and I something, that there's something in prayer that anyone can practice. Okay? It doesn't matter how old they are, no matter how young they are, it doesn't matter what they do, uh, what gifts they do or don't have. They have this gift of prayer, and anyone who knows Christ as Savior can exercise this weapon. And Paul coveted the exercise of this weapon in the lives of God's people. And uh, I have a long way to go. This is one of my, what I would consider personally one of my weakest areas. And I have a long way to go in this, and it's almost embarrassing to teach on it, but nonetheless we're here, and that's why we teach through the Scriptures. Because in my flesh, I would avoid passages like this. But an expository setup encourages me to touch things that affect me and you and that we grow together, right? And so this is something. It doesn't matter what else you do or don't do in the church. We all need to pray. And we'll talk more about the specifics of that. Prayer is the first and primary defense, is it not? It is not a last resort. The world does present it as a last resort. Hollywood will often present it as a last resort. Well, we tried to do everything else, now let's pray. Uh, in many old battles, it has been presented as a last resort. Uh, secular battles, you read history and things, and they did all this, and all these people died, and then finally the general said, well, let's just pray, and the Lord delivered them. Uh, not long ago, Brian brought a passage from Judges 19 where God whittled down the pride of Israel and brought them to a point. He answered them the first couple of times. Did he not? He said, Judah shall go up. Benjamin shall go up. Problem is, he, really what he was doing was saying, go up and learn a lesson. Go up and learn a lesson. You haven't learned your lesson yet. I believe if they had done at the end of the chapter, if they had done that at the beginning of the chapter, not all those people would have died. At the end of the chapter, they fall on their face. They sacrifice God to God the way he had commanded them to. Their pride has been busted. They fear the Lord, and then he gives them an answer that saves their lives. So prayer is a primary defense, not a last resort. It's something to be taken very seriously. All of us are guilty of this. Myself, first of all. Okay? But there's not a person in this room who has not done this, I promise you. 
who has said, I will pray for you, and has failed to do so. Okay? Not in, and we don't do it intentionally. We don't look at someone and say, that really hits your guts. I'm going to tell you this. I'm not going to do it. It's not what we're doing. You know, it's almost like a knee-jerk reaction. How are you doing? But do you really care how I'm doing? Because I've noticed when I tell people, I'm not really having a good day. This happened. Boy, they just shut right down and go away. I don't want to hear about it. Well, you didn't really care how I was doing. Yeah, there's some people It's just like, I don't ask them how they're doing because they're always doing badly. There's certain people at work. I don't say, how you doing? I just say, good morning. Because if I say, how you doing? I'll never get to my tractor. So I understand. But, you know, we do say, um, I'll pray for you. And then we don't do that. That is sinful. That is wrong. Uh, prayer is a very important thing. It's not a cop out of a conversation. It is uh, a commitment. And so it's really important. I have not said to people purposefully, I'll pray for you. Because I knew I wouldn't for some reason, whatever the reason. And I didn't say that because I don't want to be guilty of saying I'll pray for you and then don't. Okay? Um, I should be able to say I'll pray for you all the time. But uh, I think it's better not to lie sometimes than it is to say something we're not going to do. <laughs> Uh, pray that the gospel will be propagated. Paul goes on and he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. So he asks for three things, that the gospel would be propagated and glorified in its converts. That's the idea. Pray that it will have a free course. It will be able to go out, accomplish its mission, and in doing so, God will be glorified through its converts. And then lastly, he asks that the opposition would fail. So this is something that you and I can do very practically on a regular basis. Think about the gospel. I think about um, Travis and Michelle in their neighborhood trying to propagate the gospel there at the playground and in other places. Only they know specifically the obstacles that that involves right because they're right there on the front lines with that particular scenario so they know best how to pray that the word of the lord would have free course in that particular instance only i know exactly and particularly myself and god know the particulars of the obstacles i'm facing at pape equipment pape machinery with the people i'm dealing with right so this is something and we could go around the room and and, and have all kinds of examples so this is something we can consistently pray, God, would you break down this obstacle? This person is always doing this, or they're very rejecting. Would you bring something into their life that makes them want to search? Um, Lord, would you break down this barrier that I'm having? Whatever the case may be, this is something you and I can consistently pray for. A biblical, valuable prayer that God is encouraged with. Not so that we can have a, gun, a notch in our gun belt and say, well, I got someone saved today. This is not stoplight evangelism, where we jump out of a car, hand somebody a track, jump back in, go back to our church and say, three people got saved. That is wicked. Okay. That is sinful. Uh, you say, well, I've been involved in that. Well, you can, you can make that right with the Lord and ask him to forgive you, and he will. Okay. That is sinful. Um, maybe some people do get saved that way, but that's more of a look at me, I'm up in a tree. Look what I've done. That is not glorifying to God. So we need to pray that the gospel would go forth and would be propagated. And there's nothing wrong with praying that God would remove the opposition because the truth is there are people who have heard the gospel, will continue to hear the gospel, and will continue to reject and, reject and oppose the gospel. 
Now, Paul isn't being vindictive here. He's not asking that God would strike people dead with lightning, and he's not going around with a hateful spirit, but he's asking that God would deliver him and his friends from unreasonable. The idea is people who are out of place. That's literally the word, atapos, out of place. Topographical map having to do with place, ah meaning without. They're without place. It's like they don't belong there. They're, they're just completely out of the norm. Uh, all they do is persecute and pursue and oppose. Lord, would you stop them? Would you uh, give me a deliverance from them? It's certainly something we can pray in this country, in this day and age, that uh, God's gospel would continue to go forth, that you and I as a church, as individuals, our brothers and sisters across the nation, would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. And the idea of not all, for all men have not faith, literally the word is, the wording is, for all men understood for all for not all not all the faith that's actually the wording so not all people have the faith not all people will pursue the faith what is the faith well the faith the bible teaches in jesus christ of course so not all people are going to pursue that not all people are going to accept that and we see that all throughout scriptures uh, turn in romans chapter 15 for another example where Paul prayed these things. Uh, again, this is not for selfish motives, but that's so the gospel would continue to go forth. We want liberty to proclaim the gospel. We want to be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, not so that I can just enjoy my comfy lifestyle, but so that I can continue to give money to missions, so that people can continue to go to the mission field, so that you and I can continue to openly share the gospel at work on the playground, at the bus, whatever the case may be. Okay, those are non-selfish motives with which God is well pleased. And when Brian gets to 1 Timothy chapter 2, or pastor, whoever gets there, and they get to the first four verses, I'm sure they're going to address that because it's all over the place there. Uh, Romans 15, verse 30, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may, con that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So it's okay to pray that uh, in a right spirit. doesn't make you more spiritual to just drudge through all of the opposition and persecutions without asking for biblical deliverance from them. Again, the idea is not for my comfort, so that I can have freedom to go shoot my gun or go to whatever it is I want to do. You know, that's not the idea. That's the American, arrogant, this is my rights kind of an idea, which sounds good on the outside. And there are some elements of good to that thinking. But all in all, that's not the Christian heart. The Christian heart is, I want freedom to serve, because I'm set free to serve. Right. Um, we have liberty not to the flesh but to the spirit as uh, Galatians chapter 5 tells us <clears throat> so uh, pray that the opposition would fail there's nothing wrong with that prayer next we see Paul's confidence <clears throat> he says in verse 3 but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil now this is an important concept as we consider prayer Christ not connections, keeps me and establishes me. You say, what do you mean by that? 
So Christ, not connections, keeps me and establishes me. It's easy for me in my flesh to want to network to find deliverance. We're all guilty of this in our thinking. Okay? Especially if you're more of a social bug and uh, this may be more of a particular temptation. But we're all tempted to network. We're all tempted to uh, develop that social media page. You know, give to so-and-so. And I'm not saying necessarily that these things in and of themselves are bad. So don't take it that way. But are we relying on those things? Okay, so we get on net social media and we network. I'm having this problem. I'm having this issue. And we send out a, help for a, call, a call for help. May or may not be a bad thing. What was the motive in doing so? Was it our first reaction? Was it a, reac a reaction that was first bathed in prayer? Okay. If it was, it's not a problem. But if my first reaction is to network to find deliverance, I call so-and-so who knows so-and-so who can help me with this and help me with that. We've all heard the prayer request. Somebody gets up, I need $353.23 and a hay penny. Well, you could have just said, I have a need and unspoken in a prayer request. Would God meet that? That probably would be a better request. Although I'm not saying specifically if you've ever mentioned a money amount that you're in sin. It really does depend on the heart motive. But when I hear those things, I have to kind of, in my critical self, I guess, ask, what's the motive behind that? Anyway. So Christ, not connections, is my primary deliverance, okay? And, and my Savior is accessed through a healthy prayer life. Is accessed through a healthy prayer life. In the flesh, is it not easier to network than it is to pray? It is. It's easier to network than it is to pray. Um, you know, let us not be the kind of people who are running about trying to make all kinds of acquaintances and connections because we never know who we might need down the road. I mean, have you heard that? I mean, I've heard that a lot. Oh, I know so-and-so who's a pastor, so-and-so, and I'm going to have them over this dinner so I can keep in connection because I'm thinking about going here and I need them over there in this country. Dude, step back. Think about what you're saying. Connections are not bad. Paul had plenty of connections all over Asia. But his main source of weaponry was not his connections, it was his prayer life. Okay, so, again, this is really more matters of the heart. It isn't necessarily that action that is evil. It's the matter of the heart. These folks could be trusted, as we move on, considering Paul's confidence, these folks could be trusted to pray and to obey. He says, and we have confidence in the Lord touching or concerning you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. They simply could be trusted, not only to pray, but to do the things that Paul had written to them in epistles or passed down to them through word of mouth, being the doctrine of Christ. They could be trusted. Uh, can we? Can we be trusted when trouble comes to pray? And by the way, prayer isn't just when trouble comes, but I hope you understand what I mean by that. Can we be trusted to pray when trouble comes and to turn first and foremost to prayer? You say, well, how should I pray? What should I say? With what attitude should I approach it? Well, here's at least five biblical principles. Uh, these weren't in your, your student guide, I don't think. But um, here's at least five biblical principles that teach me how to approach prayer. Okay, first of all, pray with confidence. Hebrews 4.14. Hebrews 4.14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest which is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Um, 
let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly. Now that boldness is not the type that the world would promote or that our flesh would naturally think of where we boldly go into the presence and say, I want a cookie out of that jar. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, try that. Um, we go to the presence of God in absolute humility, always on our face, so to speak, but we don't fear to do so because we're in Christ. Okay. And the fear of God is manifested in that. The fear of God drives us to a love and a confidence. That's the difference between the fear of the Lord and the fear of man. Fear of man drives you away from God. The fear of God drives you toward God and into greater love for God. And uh, if you think about it, really, without the fear of God, there is no love of God. Someone who is learning about salvation, they don't first fall in love with God. They learn they're a sinner and they fear God. And they learn what God did for them. They love God. And the relationship gets better from there on in if they obey the light that is given. So pray with confidence. Um, look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26 with me. Here's some practical lessons that will hopefully just encourage you. I know I'm not the only one that struggles with the reality of what do I say, and I feel like, you ever feel like you're just saying the same things over and over again? You're making vain repetitions as the heathen do. You ever feel that way? I, I feel that way sometimes, honestly. And uh, sometimes I'm just flat out at loss uh, for words. Uh, I'm so glad that God is bigger than my infirmities. He is. And his spirit lives inside of me. It lives inside of you. And I don't have to let the devil say to me, stop doing this. This is a waste of time. This whole prayer thing's useless. You're mumbling. You're stumbling. You're stupid. You don't know what to ask for. Just forget the whole thing and go do something else. I don't have to listen to that because here's the reality. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, that's just a blanket statement for everybody. We don't know exactly what to pray for all the time, nor do we perfectly and flawlessly understand the will of God for the entire world and the people we're praying for. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession with groanings which cannot be uttered. You say, would you explain all that? I have no idea what he means, but it's obviously very important. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Uh, Father, pardon Chris for just a minute, this is what he meant to say. His heart's in the right place. This is what he's trying to ask you for. He can't, he can't really explain it. He doesn't totally understand it. He's having a really hard time right now with this. But here's what he meant to say. Boy, is that encouraging, is it not? <laughs> and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That's not just some cutesy feel-good statement where I can do what I want. And everything's going to be all right. No, that's the idea of everything is going to work out in the end. Even though it doesn't seem like it's working out now, God is orchestrating everything according to his perfect will. I believe this is the concept we see in Revelation. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 8. <clears throat> Just before the great tribulation begins... Just before the great tribulation begins, something interesting takes place. In Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, John writes, and he says this, And when he, meaning the angel, had opened the seventh seal, or excuse me, the, 
I believe in context that would be the Lamb, our Savior. There was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Now, we can think of this as the calm before the storm. Bad things are coming. They're, they're the holy things of God, but they're not good for sinners. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So we're about to blow the trumpets. All the plagues are about to pour out. And another angel came and stood at the altar, the altar that's in heaven before the throne of the Almighty God that we read about earlier, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense. Here's the perfect, flawless will of God, I believe, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints. Well, that's interesting. Upon the earth, upon the golden altar, which was before the Lord. So he takes my prayers and yours, prayers of every saint that's ever lived, and he offers it with the incense. Then what does he do with it? He throws it uh, upon the earth, we'll see. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Well, that's interesting. So now God smells this incense, and with it he smells the prayers of the saints. And the angel took the censer, filled it with the fire of the altar, and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And from there on we see the intense tribulation begin. What are you and I praying for? What, have, what, have, have, what was Daniel praying for in his day? What were all the prophets praying for, the apostles? Well, they're praying for the kingdom of Christ to come, for it to prosper, for righteousness to reign, righteousness of God to be vindicated. God hasn't forgotten any of those things. And we've not always asked for those things the way we should, nor have we always asked in a right spirit, nor have we always asked with our understanding being what it should. But God hasn't forgotten the heart with which you asked those things. And someday, I believe shortly, he's going to take those prayers, mix them with his perfect will, cast that to the earth, and everything you and I have been praying for is going to come to pass. So pray with confidence. Pray with confidence. God has, got, God has this under control. Pray in purity. 1 John chapter 3, verse 21. 1 John chapter 3, verse 21. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Bible says the Lord will not hear me. And so pray with purity of heart. Don't expect, I shouldn't expect, you shouldn't expect to receive the Lord's answers when I'm praying with impure motives and I'm regarding sin. It just isn't going to happen. Ye ask and receive not, James said, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. And so pray in purity. Uh, pray in submission. Stay in First John. Just turn over to chapter 5, verse 14. Pray in submission. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything, Anything we want. No. According to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And so when I'm praying, I have to consistently remember that I'm to pray in submission to the bigger picture of God's will. Because there are some things I would really, I would really like to see America return to what it was when it was founded. But, the problem is that through these things, God could and is doing a work in the lives of people. Okay? 
And I would like things to just return to a more peaceful state. But what happens to mankind when he is just at peace and everything is well? <laughs> yeah. I'm reading a book right now, The, the Sinking of the Lusitania, just uh, at the beginning of World War I and how World War I took the world by surprise and how there was peace everywhere and everyone was focused on having fun and, and things were prosperous. And, and then God said, all right, yeah, devil, you can, you can do this. You can shake people up a bit. So God consistently allows things to be shaken up to get people to think and to drive people to himself. That is a consistent truth you see in the Bible. And it's one we see throughout history if you've got your eyes open at all. And so though there are things I would like to see change, I have to pray in submission to the greater will of God because the truth is, none of this is his kingdom. This is not his kingdom. And my eschatology is all messed up if I think that the only thing that matters now is that there should be peace and safety and truth in my days, so to speak. Right? So we have to pray in submission. Hard to, to do, easier to say. Uh, pray often and continuously. We read this already, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. Don't give up on your daily, I hate to use this, this, this term, but it's what it is, and I mean it in a good sense, your daily routine. Uh, Sandra's reading a book right now called Atomic Habits, and it's the idea of little things make a big difference, and you make time for things that you need to do, and you are specific about the things you need to do, and you say, all right, I'm trying to rehabilitate my shoulder. I get up at 450 in the morning, I take a shower, I go downstairs, my therapy ball is waiting, my resistance band is waiting, I know what stretches I'm going to do, and I make that happen, because I know if I sit down to read my Bible and get up, it's not going to take place, and I'm not going to get better. Right? So, um, be consistent in a good way, not just some mechanical nonsense. Pray for others. First Timothy 2.1, I exhort therefore that first of all, uh, exhortations, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So it's all about my personal comfort, right? No, because the verse goes on to say, um, uh, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. That's why I pray that wicked men would be opposed and that peace and, and would go forth so that there can continue to be a road for the gospel. That's why Paul prayed for peace in the Roman kingdom, so that all those roads the Romans built to all these different places, because they were all about building roads, so they could have quick access to all their provinces, so they could quickly quench rebellions. Paul prayed for peace on all those highways, so that the gospel could continue to be propagated. So we pray for others. We pray with confidence. We pray in purity. We pray in submission. We pray often. And continuously and we pray for others and there's many other things we could say but that's at least five that would get us pointed in a good direction to a healthy prayer life and then we read Paul's prayer for these precious souls and I believe uh, by implication for you and I as well and the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ now the wording here is literally the patience of Christ which could be taken two different ways. Uh, the translators chose the idea of a patience that is focused on the return of Christ, and that is completely valid, and uh, that is the way they translated it, the patient waiting for Christ. Uh, or we could take it also, and I believe this is valid, exactly the way it is in our TR, 
and that is the patience of Christ. And really the idea encompasses both things. Because if you have the patience of Christ, you're waiting patiently for Christ. You can't have one without the other. And so I adorn the patience of Christ. But um, the love of God, let's back up and consider this one for just a minute. Paul addressed the spiritual need over the physical. It's good to pray for our physical needs, but we need to remember that the spiritual needs here, the ones that don't appear all the time on the prayer list, are probably the most important ones. Okay? The things you see me struggling with, the things I see you struggling with, things that are not on the prayer list, those are the things we need to pray for specifically for one another. Yet the other stuff is important. But uh, Paul consistently put the spiritual need over the physical. And we see our Savior do that with his disciples as well in his prayers. Uh, you know, loving someone means we talk to them often, right? And so when I don't talk to God often, and when there's really no heart behind it, it's mechanical, I don't really love him. I, I don't think anybody in this room hates God. You wouldn't be here. Okay? You have other better places to be if you didn't want to be here. But the idea is that it can just fall by the wayside. We can just lose sight of what it really means to pray. Um, you don't just talk to your spouse. I've got to say these five things to you, and then I've got to get on with my day. Some people have a marriage like that. It really stinks. Um, it's not one you want to follow. There are plenty of Christians who have marriages just like that. Don't follow those marriages. Um, but if you have a good marriage, you like to talk to your spouse. You enjoy that. And you want just that quiet time. You like to go for walks together and chit-chat about things. Be silly together. And uh, you're open and honest with your spouse if you have a good marriage. They already know you. You already know them. There's no sense in hiding things anyway. And you can help each other grow if you're honest. That's how you need to be with the Lord. Obviously, we maintain reverence in all of that because he's not our spouse. He is God. Okay. But um, a lack of a prayer would really equal a lack of love, if you, if you want to just lay it out where it is. For the patience of Christ, he asks, we must be patient. Answers may take time, and they may be different from what we want, right? The Father is in control. And then, of course, patience is inseparably linked to the Christian life, and consequently to a healthy prayer life. And we'll close with this thought of Hebrews chapter 12, Verses 1 through 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, that doesn't the idea of there's everybody standing on a cloud with a golden harp watching you, the idea is that you're encircled, okay? <laughs> I don't think anybody believes that, but just in case. Uh, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run how? With patience. The race that is set before us. Uh, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so patience is an inseparable part of the Christian life and consequently an inseparable part of my prayer life. So don't be discouraged. Continue to pray. You say, well, I need to improve. I need to spend more time. That's between you and the Lord. Do what you need to do. But understand that prayer is powerful no matter what Satan tells you in the back of your mind. Just gird on that helmet of salvation. Remember what the Spirit's doing for you in intercession. We can refer to Hebrews and find the same thing there about Christ, the Son, interceding. And uh, continue on. Keep doing what you are doing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this lesson on prayer. Certainly it's been a rebuke and an encouragement to my soul. And we ask that you would help us all to grow in this area. In Jesus' name we pray.